Welcome to Overpressed. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And we have a great episode for you guys today. I'm really excited. I've been talking about it for a few days. We've got Alex Roy in the studio again. He's actually our first repeat guest, I think. It's the first person Might that we've be. had on twice. Um, I'm really excited about that. He's going to be talking about his new film, Apex, The Secret Race. Which uh, we just watched. We just watched. It's actually really, really good. We'll get into that in a little bit. We've also got Tony Surfling on, who is a German citizen who recently got his driver's license in Germany. And we're going to talk to him a little bit about the process it takes to get your driver's license, which will make more sense about why we're doing that after you listen to the Alex Roy interview. And we're also going to talk a little bit about some work that I did to the 190. And I don't know if you've got anything that I you've got. I do have some things that I've been working on as well. Before we get to that, though, let's talk about WeatherTech, one of our sponsors. Now, if you've been paying attention, we've been covering all the different products that WeatherTech sells in addition to their awesome floor mats and cargo liners that they're known for. Here's one I bet you didn't know about, Chris, the WeatherTech Cup Phone. The what? The cup phone. It's a mobile phone holder that sits conveniently in any vehicle's cup holder. I don't have a cup holder in the 190. Oh, there is one, but it's in the glove box, and it is just a. It doesn't yeah, hold that your cup. Wouldn't it's help. a. It's a. It's a place where you place your cup. It's a cup placement, not yeah, a cup holder. <laughs> I actually put something there for a little while. I'm like, I'm going to see how long this... Nope, never mind. I'm nope. not going to do that. Yeah, so the WeatherTech cup phone features interchangeable base cups for perfect snug fit. Cup phone is adjustable and features a rotating 360-degree base allowing you to easily na- view navigation apps while on the road. It's not only great for cars, but also if you're going golfing with your golf carts or out boats out on the water. WeatherTech offers variations of cup phone for who better suit different types of phones and cases. So to learn more about cup phone and all their other great products, be sure to check out weathertech.com. And also, we have to mention our giveaway this month of one $250 gift card to WeatherTech by going to weathertech.com slash Overcrest. Awesome. So I saw that they, uh, you know, they did their other gift certificate stuff that they were doing. Yeah. And uh, Davis, one of our listeners, posted some pictures of his, and he posted his monster mats. Okay. And then he posted his weather tech mats. Oh, and I didn't. And see I've this. always been like, what do you need weather tech mats for? I've got the monster mats. <laughs> okay. But the weather tech is actually like a, it's like a, a bowl. basin. It's it a, is basin. a basin. So I think I, I don't know if they have them for the 190. They might. They might. I'm going to check and see, and if they do, I'm probably going to pick they up a really set. They really are good. Just products. so I can keep that nice interior. For nice. sure. All right. So, so what's, what's been going on with you? So as you guys know, well, maybe you didn't know, the 190 was a boat. The struts were shot. <laughs> yes. Um, this was the, I, so I put Bilstein's on it. Yep. And it was the easiest suspension I've ever installed. Really? Ever. It was so easy because it doesn't have a coilover strut oh, in the front. Oh, yeah. The fr- you know, usually you do the rear of a car and you're yep. like, wow, this is really easy. Just right. pull the straw. That's the way the front is, too. That's really So nice. I just bolted. I had to use heat on the on the knuckle because there's Loctite holding sure. the strut to the the hub. Yep. But other than that, it was, it was the easiest thing I've ever done. And now the car is an absolute dream. We just drove in it and it is it is amazing. Yeah, Fetter, day. Fetter was in it, and yes. he, he was he was our correspondent Joel Fetter, who you'll hear from on Monday. Well, he's Motor episode. Authority's correspondent. Buster Conrad is, I suppose our, is, our, correspondent. is our correspondent. Yes, distinction there. Um, also, put a new radio in it, and I know that a yeah. bunch of people are upset with me, but you don't. Okay, you don't have to live with it. I, you, this yeah. is on your way home. Yeah. For me, this is like fifty minutes to get here. I see what you so mean. So I'm You're 50, in the car. I'm in the car a lot. In a lot of time and listening to a scratchy old crappy radio using some sort of Bluetooth FM transmitter or a tape deck hooked up to another converter that plugs into the <laughs> phone because I don't have a, uh, a headphone jack on it and then so I can still charge it at the same time that I'm using the crappy tape adductor, which doesn't really actually work and keeps flipping side to side going back and forth <laughs> in the left channel, the right channel. And I'm oh, trying to man. like... To, 
drives me insane. So I found a a, a, a newer radio that has yep. everything. It has, you know, a Bluetooth. It has, you can plug it in the USB if you want to do it that way. It's got weather band radio uh, and it's made by VDO. And when you get it, gotcha. I put it, I got it fired up. Video, a very good German brand. So it fits. Yep. All my gauges are video. It says continental on it. I might try and find a way to get rid of the continental badge. The tire like, brand. Yeah. The tire brand. Well, I don't know. So the thing was all in European bands when I got it. So that's, okay. how, that's how you know it's actually meant for European cars. Is <laughs> it was all a bunch of bands that I didn't I gotcha. recognize. Yeah. So I got that thing bolted in there. The amber looks great. I'm really excited about it. I find the, the car feels like, okay, let's do it. Snow tires come tomorrow. Oh, actually, next week, guess who we're talking to? Nokian Tire. Yes. We're going to be interviewing Nokian Tire. So I'm excited That'll about that. Excellent. They're going to tell us all about snow tires, which I'm getting put on tomorrow. Awesome. So you will be set. What, so, what do you got going on? So my uh, my good friend, Chris, I have two good friends. Chris, this is the other good friend, Chris. Is it a, is it a competition? It is, yeah. Okay. He's actually my oldest friend. Okay, I can accept that. Yes. Uh, so he was on the rally, on the Overcrest rally. Is he taller than me? Yes, Okay, he so he's the so taller he, of the two Chris's. Yes, he's the I figure tall Chris. With, I figure you, you pr- judge everybody's like goodness yeah, by how well, tall they are. It's funny because we weren't working in my garage, and I like have a drawer I can't get to, so I use a <laughs> wrench to get to it. I do. Yeah, it's pretty good. And he just reaches up, and I was like, you are much taller than me, aren't you? So, you yes, say that a lot? he's tall, Chris. I say that to everyone. You are much taller. <laughs> All right, so what do you Anyways, going on? So he uh, just bought an SC in 1978, 911. It's silver, right? Is it's it? white. White. Okay. With the whale tail. I'm trying to picture which car this was on the rally. I don't okay. really remember. Yep. It was a white whale tail, and he had just gotten it like two or three weeks before the rally. Right. And so we're driving around. He was driving with me, and after the rally, he goes, I need exhaust. Like, hearing all these other 911s that are piped out <laughs> and sound good, he's like, I need exhaust. What year is this car? 78. So is he going to... So he needs to get SS. Does he have SSIs? No. So no. here, yeah. So over the last couple of weeks, we've been going back and forth, and I'm sending him clips, like trying to help him out. And I send him the clip of your SC, where you had SSIs and the two in, one out, or two out muffler. Yeah. And it sounds cherry. Yeah. But then you start adding it up, and he's like, "This is ridiculous." And so we're looking at other, you know, like, you know, you can. The muffler is only like seven hundred bucks. It's the SSIs that are expensive. Right. The headers. So. Because that's like an, uh, the SSIs. Basically, what what normally would come with the car is you'd have cats and you'd have heat exchangers and all this other crap. SSIs are headers with the heat exchanger over it, and it's it's right. good for some decent horsepower because the regular yeah, I, exhaust I, is is terrible. I bet so it the is. SSIs is what you would typically so want. So you might even scoff at this, but I want you to hear his car and then remember what I'm about to tell you. Okay. I, I don't have a, a sound bite of it. Oh, but okay. Like I at thought some I was point, ready you for will it. hear his car and you'll be like, "That sounds really good." Oh, so you guys did some work. Yes. What did you get? Did you get like a Bursch or something? We got just a MagnaFlow 50 series. I brought it over to my house the other day and we worked on it. We gutted the cat. Okay. Because it has the pre-cat and then we welded up. I welded up basically a system out of this MagnaFlow and it sounds so good. Sure. Yeah. Those have been known to sound decent. They're a little lower, like a little. Yeah. It's rumbly. So actually it was funny because in the car, you know, we drove it around. We're like, oh, this this is more mellow than you would have thought. More like low and not as loud. And then as he's leaving, he pulls out of the driveway and out of the neighborhood. I'm like, that sounds really good going by. So I designed a very, very good exhaust system. Very good sounding, but it's not going to make any more power unless you have some decent headers on there. Right. That's fine. They're so expensive. I think it's... I know. What is it? It's $3,000 now for or $1,500 or something for... Which I guess for headers is not that crazy. But, but it is, yeah. Use my Ridiculous. car. I was lucky my car came with them. So yeah, I didn't, no I didn't have so to... So did mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, for a while, they, they they were very, very common. I think mine are cracked. 
because I have oh. a little bit of a, uh, it's fine when I'm just driving around, but if I'm really getting on it, I start to get a little sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> so I think yeah, that there's that some sort exhaust of. exhaust driven heat is uh, an issue at times. Yeah. So, all right, before we get into our Alex Roy interview, what have yes, we got? Yes, let's talk about Oberk Car Care. So Oberk is your premier source for detailing compounds, pads, and polishes. After 15 years of experience working with the largest brands in the industry, the engineers over at Oberk decided to make one simple, holistic system that just takes the guesswork out of paint correction. Whether you're working on anything from a 59 Corvette to a 2019 911, all Oberk's products are developed to work with any and all paint types. So please be sure to check those guys out at oberkcarcare.com and use the exclusive code OVERCREST to get 15% off any order over 35 bucks. And we'll even toss in one of their famous Eagle Edgeless Towels for Overcrest fans. All right, so who is Alex Roy? Now, I really think if you have not listened to it yet, you should go back through the archives and listen to our full interview with Alex Roy. I think yeah. this one is still about half an hour, but the other one talks a little bit more. We talk about the film on this one and what he did, mm -hmm. but it's a little more geared towards who Alex Roy is and what he believes in. And that bleeds into this one a little bit too, but it's just a different type of interview right. with Alex. Um, but just kind of cliff notes, Alex was the guy to first break not the first guy to break the, right. the 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 coast to coast run across the country, the the cannonball run as people like to call it, um, but he was the one that broke it after I think twenty seven or twenty eight years. Right. There was a time in the eighties that basically seemed unbeatable. Right. And it stood for twenty some years. Right. And it was he thirty two hours seven minutes was the time that couldn't be broken. I think he broke it by a a little bit less than an hour. Right. And uh, so he made a film about it. So he's written a book, but he also made a film about that. And that's what his new film is. So I'm really, really looking uh, looking forward to everybody seeing that. It's out on Sunday night yep. on NBC Sports Network, 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. So I guess okay. that's right or 8.30, I think. And then, of course, it'll be out on iTunes after that. Right. Um, so why don't we play the trailer so you can, guys can hear a little bit of that. This is a story about people who race from one side of America to the other as fast as they can. Some people know coast-to-coast -coast racing from the movies, but what's the real story? A secret illegal underground race from coast-to-coast. -coast. It's nuts. Stop, 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 stop. He is f***ing blind, dude. All right. So that's, I mean, Ice-T, right? That's, that's Ice awesome. Ice-T narrated it. Ice-T, Ice do the narration for the film. Uh, Mike Spinelli actually wrote. He's the one that... Uh, had a lot to do with Jalopnik, and now he's over at the drive. He wrote the narration for the story. Gotcha. And it's, there's a lot of good people involved with this film, and it's really, really good. We watched it, it tonight. Yeah, um, we had a kind of a pre-screening. Yeah, we were we had a pre-screening of it. We sat down and watched it. You know, I've read the book. We talked to Alex. I'm like, all right, well, here we go. We'll watch this thing. We're going to have him on later. But I was actually on the edge of my seat, <laughs> even though... I've, I've, I know the story. Yep. And that is the mark of a good film. If you know right. the story and you're still excited about there it, you're still, still on the edge of your seat, um, that makes for a very good film. And the level of planning that he had when he did this run. Mind-blowing. It's It's got to be some sort of like neurosis with Alex. <laughs> because 
not in a bad way. No, but it's just it's kind of like anybody that's really good detail. at one thing. The level of uh, detail was really good, and I think only someone as eccentric as Alex Roy could have pulled off what he did in a way that he did. Other people have followed suit, but they're just kind of like you know shooting at it from the hip. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it doesn't look as well planned as what Alex did the way he, he did it. And his record's been beaten since that. But I think his his first record is. I'm sorry. The second record that stood that was broken that stood for so long. That's the one that's going to really be remembered, not yeah. the ones that came after what Alex Roy did. They keep kind of inching away at the it's, time. It's his, and I think it has a lot to do with his eccentricity and mm-hmm. his passion for what for he did, sure. and, and the story around and the story, and obviously what he continued to do afterward. Like yeah. he lives this. He does the Human Driving Association. He works for Argo AI, and he's lobbying for uh, autonomous cars to be, you know done correctly and make sure that you know you're still able to always have a steering wheel in your hand and we talk a little bit about why that kind of stuff is important too in this interview so i hope you enjoy it here you go guys our interview with alex roy mr alex roy it's uh, it's it's my pleasure to have you on the podcast again thanks for uh, calling in thanks so much chris yeah it's uh, it's it's awesome last time we talked you had mentioned that you were working on a film but we didn't really know exactly what it was that we were uh going to be expecting why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've been working on so uh, Apex, The Secret Race Across America, is the second film from Apex, which is uh, the series run by JF Mutual, produced and directed by JF, my old friend. And this is the movie that I wanted to make all these years about the U.S. Express race um, and about my drive cross-country with David Maher. My God, it's almost 13 years ago. Uh, and it's basically the untold story of cross-country racing and cannonballing. Uh, No one's ever seen this footage. No one's ever really known the story of the U.S. Express. And this is the the film that I wanted to make since the beginning. Right, because you've written a book about this, and I've seen like various short films. I think there's one called like 32 Hours, 7 Minutes, or something like that. I've Mm -hmm. seen that. But this film isn't just about you, right? No, so half the movie, maybe a little less than half, is about the run that Maher and I did. Uh, and the other half is really about the U.S. Express, and it goes pretty deep into it. Uh, you know, for anyone who uh, enjoyed 3207, this is like the expanded version of that story. Uh, it's more than a director's cut. Uh, I mean, we could have made really probably two or three movies out of this, but in you know modern <laughs> in the modern world, you start with one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my God, I, I, if we could get, I mean, if we had a TV show or like an ongoing series about transcontinental racing like that would be the dream right right so um how did ice t end up being a narrator for this film because i watched the trailer (laughs) and all of a sudden i'm like holy cow that's ice t so um jf uh was on the bull run rally i think i don't know how many years ago and uh apparently changed ice t's tire and they became friendly (laughs) and so uh you know it I've, I have also been on rallies and collected the phone number of like a real celebrity, but I never dared call it after the fact because I assumed like everybody calls them. Right. Uh, and so, uh, last, well, I guess about two years ago, uh, my friend Seth Rose and Romuald Clarion, who runs Cars and Coffee Monaco, went cross country to try to, you know, set the record. And they came in, I think at like just over 30 hours, like an incredible time. And I was one of the witnesses and I was talking to Seth, like, you know, we really would love to have an amazing narrator. And he's like, well, what about ice tea? Because it (laughs) turns out that ice tea is a good friend of his for a long time. They do events together. Uh, He called up 
Ice, um, Ice said yes and uh, came in, met Michael Spinelli, you know, uh, founder of uh, Jalopnik. He's now with The Drive, yep. and who wrote the script for this movie and did the voiceover. Uh, it's uh, I, I'm as surprised as anyone else, but Ice T's a real car guy. Like he's not one of these dudes who just buys the cars, puts in a garage, and Instagrams them. He drives. He he got the story immediately. Right. And it, it was funny. I talked to Mike Spinelli a little bit about, you know, interviewing you and like how the narrate because he wrote the narration for for the film. And Correct. I don't understand how he couldn't write everything and just be talking like iced tea in his head the entire time. He's, <laughs> yeah. he's putting together well, a narration. We didn't know uh, that uh, when we he was writing the script that iced tea was going to do it. And so, oh, okay. it, you know, it's, and it's one of these unknowable things. It's a dream. You know, he came in. Ice T came into the project pretty late. I mean, this the events depicted took place some of them thirty more than thirty years ago, and then my run with Dave was thirteen years ago last week. And so, um, you know, we've been sitting on this a long time. And uh, the, the the missing piece, of course, was getting a, a really good narrator. I'm glad it's not me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So after looking back, and you know. The stuff kind of comes and goes as you think about this, but putting the film together must have brought up a lot of memories. And when you go back to recount telling people stories, what's your favorite story to tell people about the journey that you had? <laughs> um, I mean, the the it, it's split in half. You know, the when the opening scene of the film, I'm not giving it anyway, shows us you know breaking down halfway with my first co-driver, John Goodrich, and we're in Oklahoma and uh, there's a scene of cut where I turn to John and I'm like, listen, like I'm going again. I don't care what it costs. That's it. I'm going again. And John doesn't say anything. And, you know, our friendship has never been the same. Uh, and, that led to me making friends with, you know, I guess reconnecting with my old friend, Dave Maher, who was my final co-driver. And that was like a really seminal moment in my life because all of us, it defined like who we were and like who we are today. Uh, I love John. You know, we're still friends. We don't, but not, not in the same way. And Dave and I became a lot closer because we shared that thing. Like we both had to go. And some people don't have to go do certain things and others do. Uh, and the, the second half of it <laughs> is, uh, not in the film. It's that right after that, I, I went to the airport, sent the car to BMW, Oklahoma City, Jackie Cooper BMW, and called my mother, my attorney, and told them what happened. And a few hours later, um, uh, got a call from Jackie Cooper BMW after I'd gotten on a plane, being told that the police are at the dealership looking for me. Because <laughs> behind, behind me in line at the airport was the lieutenant governor of Oklahoma. And he thought I was a drug dealer or drug runner whose car had broken down in his city. And they went looking for the blue BMW with New York plates and they found it and they held the car for several days. Uh, you, one could write maybe not a whole movie, but certainly like a one hour episode of like stupid law and order about how I got that car back. And even though the police were in possession of the car, uh, I got it back and they, I wasn't charged with anything. But of course, I was innocent of the things for which they thought I was guilty. And that's, 
<laughs> yeah, that, they were just barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> yeah, that was another movie. But anyway, so the second half later, I, be, yeah, yeah, I became uh, friends not in the film with the right after the officers in that investigation. And a car sold to BMW Oklahoma City, uh, Jackie my BMW, second BMW M5, my mother, my attorney, German police livery, and told them what happened. still drives in Oklahoma City um, and takes the car mates. Uh, got I'd, call, I'd love to Jackie see a Uber citizen BMW arrest out of that thing. Or, <laughs> or I guess the only person who could do it. It wouldn't even be a citizen arrest. He could do it. Behind me in line at the airport. He sent me some pictures of him taking that. He thought I was a drug dealer. One for drug runner. The second car had broken down in his city. Uh, and they know, went looking for the blue BMW with New, New York great, plate, great and they found it. So and tell us a little bit about because there's two different people uh, in my one mind. One could um, write you have maybe not a whole movie, Alex that but planned this. Like okay, a one so hour it's like this like hyper planned out thing. I mean, you are the difference between you and some of the other people that have done this. And are is even your though the police were in possession of the car and safety and everything else. You also have Alex the showman, which is the guy with the German police library, you know, who gets pulled over and stuff like that. How are those? How do those two people kind of go together? Because one's kind of well, seems kind of wild, and uh, one seems really reserved. Well, the uh, you know the, the uniforms that whole getup came out of the gumball because when you're going with you know fifty or sixty other cars and they're all very flashy cars, if you going going in a fake police car is a is your disguise. I mean, because you look like the fun one and like the funny one, and the police. You know, they might even think that you are one on vacation, which turned out to be true. Uh, they did think we were German cops on vacation. But the, the, le- the, the connection between the two is that if you can do a rally with, you know, in a group of 50 or 80 sports cars with stickers and you cannot get caught, then you learn, you know, if you can learn how to drive a car with stickers and uniforms and not get caught, then removing the stickers and taking off the uniform and, but, but, still having absorbed the lessons of how to drive at those speeds safely stay with you. And if you, if you act all the time on the assumption that you are the most conspicuous person on the road and anything you could do could endanger others and yourself, you become, and it sounds crazy, very defensive. And I think safer than the average driver. Uh, you know, and my planning, by the way, uh, helped break the record, but it also slowed us down because, you know, there's a story of Roger Bannister, the, the first guy to run the four-minute mile, break the four-minute mile. And and he uh, said that, you know, for decades, people had said the four-minute mile could not be done. But after he did it, and he was a medical student who planned it meticulously, hundreds of people broke the four-minute mile. It was a psychological barrier. Right. Um, and so since I've gone, uh, several people have broken our time, which with what would appear to be less planning. Because they like were able to break through like the psychological barrier that I moved that bar, and then once they saw where that bar was, they just jumped right over it. So uh, you know that's that's the connection, it's an intellectual connection. One is a fun act, and the other one is you know uh, what I guess the structure of of uh, achievement. <laughs> so do you think that the the ones that follow are as as relevant as the first in a way? It, it, to society? Well, uh, I think it's, remember, I, I'm not the first. Dave and I weren't well, the first. We it's were this huge gap t- of time, right? Which kind of makes it yeah. seem more relevant, I guess. Yeah, you know, so I would say that, uh, you know, it is said in the film of us, and I, it's the one thing I would agree with, that like we like opened the door to like the modern era because no one had done it successfully 
that I'm that we're aware of in 27 years or 28 years right. from 83 through uh, you know 2006. And uh, you know, there, I mean, <laughs> everyone's relevant in the sense that you know there is always a time that the next guy looks at and says, "I can beat that." Uh, and so, yeah, they're all relevant. Uh, you know, I'm really relieved that people went after us because I didn't really want to go again. It, the stress of it, like, you know, I'm older um, I'm, and I'm a dad, so I, I could not fathom summoning the focus to do it. My reflexes right. aren't what they were. And so, uh, you know, all of us bear some responsibility. If someone goes out and tries to do this and hurt somebody, it's all, it's like collective. I really, it's, Certainly, I, I I would feel some responsibility, like morally. So I'm glad other guys are going to take that hit. Right. Uh, and then so I'm what you're saying is the Alex that when you when you broke down on the side of the road, I think it was like your fuel pump or your fuel filter or whatever it yeah. was. Yeah. That Alex is gone. He doesn't exist anymore. The one that says, "I'm going to do this again. Let's go. I'm doing it." Is is he's well? <laughs> it's always in us. Uh, no, you just mean I go every year now and do it in an electric vehicle because for me. Uh, it, it wasn't so much like the adrenaline rush as much as like the intellectual exercise. Right. The, you know, everyone says they want to do things in life and they often, a lot of people just don't do those things. And so, uh, you know, and after you do them, you're like, well, what do you do next? So for me, the, 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 the multi-year research into it, you know, figuring out like what well, the fuel pump transfer rates and, uh, you know, exactly where the police were using Google Earth before Google Earth was like widely used. Google Maps barely existed. It didn't even exist when we went. And so applying that to, you know, once we did that, the guys after us didn't have to do those things. They We didn't have ways. They have ways. Like we didn't have Google Maps. They have Google Maps. So all those tools, you know, replaced the, 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 the scanners and kind of hard work we had to do. And, and so what is the next challenge is obviously electric vehicles. Uh, and so... Electric vehicle uh, times, you know, resemble in the recent years resemble the cannonball times of 1915 to 1920. And so back then there were no gas stations. The interstate highway system didn't exist. And so that was a tremendous challenge. So if you, but today the challenge is not breaking the internal combustion time. The challenge is is setting fast electric times. And because electric battery density is lower than, you know, uh, internal combustion, you know, fuel density, it is possible to set records at lower speeds than what would have to do to claim an internal combustion speed. Yeah, so but everybody's going to compare, inevitably going to compare the internal combustion engine. That's what people are going to want oh, to will. beat that. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the trophy on the wall, right? Everybody wants that oh, now. And they will, because it takes approximately, uh, between 25 and 40 minutes of refueling time for an internal combustion car. And right now, charging times for an electric vehicle to get cross country are somewhere, between, depending on the vehicle, between 10 and 14 hours. But <laughs> that those times are falling fast. It right. went, you know, the, record, the record for electric vehicle used to be seven, eight hours. I set it three times in two years and brought it down to 50 hours. And then a few months ago, a guy went across in 45 hours. Is this software so or battery tech that's allowing this? Well, Primarily battery tech. Uh, I'd say one third battery tech, one third, maybe more like two fifths battery tech, two fifths the charging network itself, and then one fifth software. Sure. Remember though that the, the gap between internal combustion and electrification records is closing very quickly. 
and much even quicker than I expected. And 45 hours in an electric vehicle, and I think soon it's going to be 41 hours, you're within four hours of a decent cross-country time in a gas car. So uh, we are within five to seven years of an electric vehicle breaking, uh, you know, breaking 30 hours and probably 28 hours, which is, you know, uh, the Bolian time in a gas car. So how is your journey different from those that will try in the futures? And will the record be sought in a few generations? Or do you think the rise of autonomous cars, it's going to fade into, into just legend? Are people going to continue to try to do this? Yeah, people will absolutely always be doing cannonball type records. And the skills will change. So, you know, when the guys went across in 83, in the US Express, the final Express, in 32 hours, seven minutes, all the technology was basically analog, uh, except for the radar detectors. Um, but, you know, they're using binoculars, lights, um, and analog, you know, scanners to scan police radio. And that was it. That's all they had. So, you know, 25, 26 years later, we go across with thermal, not, you know, cameras. We're using Google Map, sorry, Google Earth and mountains of, of data. But we have no way to process it except in our heads. That's 13 years ago. Today, right. you have Waze and other apps that give you real-time data to monitor police and weather and traffic. The next phase of this is going to be when there are, when there are some type of driver assistance that can help the driver um, reduce the driver's workload at those speeds, that will shave some time off and make it safer. And then the next phase after that is going to be when there are you know, uh, some type of autonomous vehicles on the road. And eventually, I'm, I'm quite convinced that many cities and states, and maybe eventually the interstate system, will be you know, mandatory autonomous vehicles. But that's not going to stop this. Because somebody out there, some kid right now, it, the, the version of the Alex Roy of the future is going to look at the times. And I think in the next three, you know, five years or so, cannibals will, as we know them, will come to an end. And they'll restart again when some kid who loves cars, who has some hacking skill, is going to take a vehicle that is has autonomous capability and a steering wheel, and he's going to remove the speed limit of the autonomy part. And then he's going to put a like spoof his emissions because all vehicles will be connected. And like, imagine when you you set up a spy plane, a spy plane masks itself through electronic warfare from enemy, you know, uh, aerial defenses. Yeah. Someone will do that with an autonomous vehicle. They will spoof their ID codes. They will drive on the interstate among other autonomous vehicles, masking their speed and masking their identity until they get to the other side. And if at any some point something doesn't work, they'll take over make that pass and let the autonomy resume um, and let the autonomy protect them. But of course it will be protecting them, protecting them at speeds above what is legal. And then when they get hit with some legal assault, they're going to hide behind the car was defective. Right. That is the cannonball <laughs> of the future. Well, it's interesting uh, I can't that wait the, to see the car it. <laughs> is such like a, it's such a conduit for being a rebel. It really is. And I'm not sure exactly why that is, but it's it maybe because it's so easy to take it and, you know, fight the man with the car, whatever the law is that needs to be broken. It's such a great tool for that. Well, you know, in what, 1900, uh, in, in 1850, the majority of people lived and worked within two miles of the same place. And they lived in these virtual cages because there was no method of getting around. People didn't, the majority of people didn't own a horse. They might never even get on a horse. And taking a train then 
was like taking buying a first class plane ticket today. And then trains became ubiquitous. And then cars showed up. And so the car was the most democratizing, you know, technology after since the printing press. And so any vehicle that allows you to get from A to B um, it, over a distance further than a bicycle will can accommodate you is going to be a very powerful uh, tool um, and, and used for good or evil. Right, right. So this type of thing that you accomplished 13 years ago, um, you know, I've done a lot of drives and stuff like that, too. And it's really, really difficult to recreate the emotional experience that you have the first <laughs> time when you do something. Are you finding it? kind of like this, almost like this sad nostalgia as you look back and be like, I'll never be able to feel that again. <laughs> no, because <laughs> uh, every time I get in, uh, uh, you know, I drive cross country, I try to do something I haven't done before. It doesn't have to be faster, but I like it to be harder. Uh, you know, I went across country a couple of years ago in a Morgan three-wheeler. And that was <laughs> the worst experience of my life. That was open top in the winter, open wheel, horrible. Um, but that you know, that was forty-one hours. That was really something. And then you know, I drive cross-country in a Tesla every year, and uh, I, I thought it was getting a little too easy. And then my record was broken by the guy who did it in forty-five hours. And so you know, you're suddenly you're, I'm feeling competitive again. I'm like, how can I optimize my, you know, battery depletion? How can I? What kind of drafting can I do? Like, am I? have I learned enough about the charging rates of the chargers? And suddenly I'm back in it again. Right, um, right, right. I'm not racing against anyone else. I'm racing against the unknown. I suppose that's the difference between us and the guys who went faster than us. Like we really didn't know if it could be done. And I was absolutely terrified. And the guys after us, they knew that it could be done. And it was just a question of how much faster. It's just, it's uh, just a way you created the wake for it. You know, yeah, so I feel it, that whenever I get in an electric car now, um, the Tesla, like a Porsche Taycan, I'm like, okay, what can we do here that has never been done before? Uh, and everyone should find that thing in life and, and do it. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's human nature is to find that in ourselves and, yeah. and keep going. And, and that leads me to my last question on the film itself is why is this film important? Why do people need to see it? <laughs> well, you know, there are, well, first of all, this, the cannibal run is so popularly known, widely known that the word cannibal is basically, you know, it entered the vernacular as a verb for doing anything hyper fast and against the law. So, uh, and that story has never been told accurately ever. Uh, the gumball rally movie, the cannibal run movie, the, the rallies that occur today are nothing like what actually happened. And this is the first time anyone can see what really happened. It's, it's awesome. Uh, it's an awesome story. And of course, the U.S. Express, the real race that happened in the 80s that was much faster than the Cannonball, has never had a story fully told. Uh, and I think it's an inspirational story, again, for anyone who's ever been told something is impossible, and then you go out and do it. Uh, it is a movie for anyone who's ever felt that and wants to see how it's done. Has there ever been any rumors of people doing something like this with the electric car stuff? Because obviously all the, the combustion engine stuff has been done, but with the with the combustion or the uh, the electric car stuff coming along, has anybody thought about doing like getting a bunch of guys together and then just going and doing something like this and racing across the country in an electric car? Have you heard uh, any? You're, <laughs> uh, you're the first person I'm telling this to publicly, but <laughs> I am I am working. I will be putting together such an event in uh, 2020. 
all right, I guess I'll have to get my hands on an electric car then so I can come along. <laughs> uh, so in, in really, the... <laughs> if you if you could get your hands on pretty much a, a, a Tesla, a Porsche Taycan, you will be able to qualify in the top class. The, it'll be like Le Mans. We're going to have classes based on capability of vehicle. So hyper-fast charging, Tesla and Taycan will be the top class, like LMP. And then there'll be like a 50-kilowatt class. And then there'll be like homebrew classes. Well, you better watch out for those homebrew class classes, man. There's, there could be something going on there. Um, so yeah, yeah. in uh, in the last, I think we talked about a year, a year and a half ago, and it seems like things like perception of autonomous cars and how fast they're advancing. The perception is that everybody, it's going really, really fast. But when you look at it realistically, how is it actually developing lately? Right, so, so I work for one of the autonomous vehicle companies now. Um, and... Uh, I would say that many of them, um, you know, overstated the timelines um, because that's how you raise investor money. Look at what, you know, uh, look at Silicon Valley. Some of them have been very honest about it. Um, and that one of the companies, one of those companies is the one that I work for. Uh, so people should not believe the hype. Um, they should, you know, in the current media landscape, a uh, lot of so-called journalists just are publishing clickbait. Um, but if you look between the lines and you pay close attention, uh, you will learn a lot about how the world really works. Um, a Tesla, and I own one, uh, is not a self-driving car. Um, but there are forms of autonomy that are coming. Uh, it's just going to be very limited. It's going to be awesome if it works where you live. And it's going to be something you'll be jealous of if it doesn't work where you live. But it's going to happen. So why do you think the ability to drive is so important? Uh, you know, the, the car uh, is the greatest, what's the word? Um, what is the word? Unless you become a pilot and can afford to own a plane or an astronaut, it's unlikely, well, or maybe you can own a boat, but it's unlikely that you will ever own anything as empowering as a car is. And it's unlike boats and planes, the majority of people on Earth have access to cars. So it's not only empowering, but it's binding, conceptually binding. So you can drive cross-country, which is something it would take months or years to do, uh, 150 years ago. Or you can go you know, 20 miles in just a few minutes. It, and everyone understands it. Like, everyone understands a pen. And that is something that you can't take that away. You can, I mean, the whole march of, of human history has been adding freedoms and adding tools to extend those freedoms. You can't take it away. So when i when i speak positively of autonomous vehicles it's i'm talking about the companies that want to add autonomous vehicles as an extra choice for us i would never trust a company that said you won't need to drive again i would trust a company and give them my money if they said if you want to drive go ahead but if you don't we've got something else for you uh, and that difference is the hinge of the world um it's the hinge of everything. So how do you balance that with the people that are saying, well, driving is too dangerous. It kills people. You know, every time I, you know, I go on Twitter and stuff and I get into arguments with the war on cars guys and all these guys that just, oh my God, they just, all they want to do is walk and drive bicycles and take the subway, which is fine in an urban environment that works, but trying right. to explain to them the freedom of driving and all they say is, well, is your freedom more important than people dying? How do you, how do you get over that when people say that I, to you? So I know the guys that warrant cars. Aaron Naparstek runs street blogs, and he's a very smart guy. And so he, they are he specifically. He's two thirds absolutely right, and one third 
uh, we disagree. And look, I live in New York City, and it is a vastly better place to live when there are not as many cars on the streets. And probably best if there were, I'd say none. If you don't live in Manhattan, you pretty much do not need to be bringing a car into the city. If you do live here, um, you know, parking is underpriced. Uh, given what real estate's worth in Manhattan. And the streets should be safer. You know, I, I know people have been hit and killed um, by cars. So rather than say there should be a war on cars, ban cars, and or everyone should have the right to own a car, um, I, both sides are right. Everyone should have the right to own a car, but all the externalities need to be priced in. And bringing a car to New York City and street parking it, and and doing that with the license you got basically with no practice makes no sense. So we need to raise driver's licensing standards in a really serious way. Really, like it needs to be like equal to Germany or Latvia or or beyond, because people should not be driving if they're if they are unsafe. And you, I mean, let's suppose autonomous vehicles never arrive. What what is the solution to making our streets safer? It's to increase driver's licensing standards anyone who's against that and this is where i disagree with the warren cars people like they just say that they think the solution to safety is to ban cars but you can't ban them you can manage them and you can improve the people driving them and that's the part that i believe in why not both why not make drivers safer and price in the cost of ownership in an urban center if we did both we would solve traffic and pollution and safety. But people, and this is true of, you know, the politics and the Democrats, Republicans, people want to make everything a left-right issue, a yes or no issue. And the reality of the world is not like that. All right. That's pretty much exactly how I feel as well. All right, guys, Apex, the secret race across America will do, debut on Sunday, October 20th on NBC Sports Network, 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Um, I hope you, everybody takes a look at it. I'm really excited to watch it. And uh, again, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. It's always great to hear your stories. Uh, if I may just also add, it will be on iTunes uh, probably a couple of weeks later in November okay. and December. And if you want to follow us online, you can follow us um, at uh, The Secret Race on Instagram. Okay. And ApexTheSecretRace.com uh, on, online. Cool, man. Thanks again. I really appreciate it. You, you take care of yourself. Thanks, Chris. Take care. Yep. Bye-bye. All right, I want to ask you a question now that we've we've done that. All right. Um, what does society and humanity looked up to most after decades and centuries after the history books have been written? What do they look at? What kind of people are held up? I suppose it's kind of the... Well, there's two kinds. Okay. Heroes and... The nonconformists. Or rebels. The rebels. The yeah. rebels. The nonconformists, the rebels, the ones that went against the grain. And I think in car culture, Alex Roy... And what he did and what he's doing now, I think no matter what, and you can hear him say that, hey, there's going to be more of these. People are going to continue to push the envelope and continue to, be, to rebel against this, that, or the other thing in different ways, or they're going to find right. ways. And I think Alex is a very, very good representation of that type of person. Absolutely. All right. So before we get into our interview with uh, with Tony Surfling, who is the, the German guy that we talked to, uh, I called him earlier today. We talked to him on Skype. Yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Petrolbox? That's right. Petrolbox is a monthly subscription service specifically made for the automotive enthusiast. Each month, they carefully select items, including tools, detailing supplies, apparel, 
garage gear, stickers, you name it, and they send it right there to your doorstep. There are actually two different levels of the subscription to choose from. You have the Petrolbox Basic, which costs less than 20 bucks a month, or you can upgrade to the Petrolbox Premium, which gets you more gear for $39.95 a month. Either way, be sure to check them out at mypetrolbox.com and use the code OVERCREST at checkout to get $6 off your first month's order. You might even be able to get some early uh, holiday shopping done by getting that for someone on your list. Yeah, there you go. All right, here we go with uh, Mr. Surfling talking about his driver's education in Germany. Mr. Tony Surfling, how's it going, sir? Uh, Very well. How is my mic quality? It sounds great, man. You sound great. It's working pretty well. Um, if you could explain to us a little bit about your driver's license process, maybe people would understand why the mortality rates are so much lower in Germany. Sure, of course. Um, yeah, my name is Tony Zöffling. I'm 25 years old now, and I actually only did my driver's license at 23 because I had to save up for it. Because usually, I mean, there's a lot of cases in Germany where driver's licenses get paid by the parents. So there's also kids that do it at 17. Because you can make uh, do your license at 17, but you have to do a, um, supervised driving until you're 18. What is the actual? What's the, the education process like when you when you go and take the test or you go to get your? You said that there's 12 mandatory modules and two voluntary modules. What do you mean by that? Two of those modules uh, are voluntary, and 12 of them are mandatory. But you have to take 14 overall, so you can either take the voluntary modules or you can retake another module. And basically, what Taking means just going to the school on the day where they are teaching that specific module. And yeah, the voluntary modules are all about basically um, the, how a car works. We have different types of, of course, uh, licenses in Germany for motorcycles, for cars, for trucks, for buses. And these voluntary modules are all about specific technical details about the different vehicle you're driving. So the two voluntary modules for car is about how cars work, about uh, motorcycles, so how motorcycles work and so on. But the mandatory modules are all the same for all the different driving licenses and it's the basic stuff like how does right-of-way work? How do we, um, how do we uh, act on an act when we come upon an accident site? Why should you not drive under influence? Uh, all the basic rules of driving. And those. So what, what is your penalty for driving under the influence over there? Because here, driving under the influence is one of the biggest problems that we have. What's the consequences for it there? Several different. Of course, there's always fines. I don't know the fine for driving under influence out of my head right now, but it's probably around 100 to 200 euros and you get strikes on your register and the, the driving, how, how would you translate that to English? Your driving ability registry, basically, where the, where the state judges your ability to drive whenever you get a penalty uh, or a fine, you also get a strike on your register and once there's eight strikes, your license gets revoked. So, you can, five so years. you can get pulled over for driving under the influence eight times before you get your license revoked? I No, no, no. The, you can get different strikes for different uh, okay. violations. Okay. Basically, just driving like 20 kilometers per hour, I don't know how much that's in mile per hour, over the speed limit gets you one strike. But, for example, driving over 70 kph over the speed limit gives you 
six strikes and okay. driving under influence okay. is probably four or five strikes so you can do it basically uh, every two years one point gets removed from your register so if okay. you are clean for two years you get a point removed from it and yeah once you have eight strikes your license gets revoked and you have to retake the entire driving test after uh, five years to get your license back or basically get a new license um, so you talk about the, the modules, but you also talk about a theoretical test. What is that? Yes. Yeah, basically once uh, you've done all the modules and your school says, okay, we've seen this guy has done 14 modules, they sign you up for this actual test of, of your theoretical driving ability. And we, I think in America you have the DMV, which is basically like the same as our TÜV. TÜV is called Technische Überwachungsverein. Uh, I think I translated it to Association for Technical Inspection. Sure. It's a really rough, but uh, that's basically an official company of the state that uh, is uh, also doing MOT. I think you, do you know MOT? Yeah, in, yeah, in we don't. It, that's different in each state. Like our state doesn't have any in Minnesota here. We don't yeah. have any inspections on cars. Other states have higher exactly. restrictions. That company basically that is doing inspections also handles uh, the tests for dri new drivers. And you, so you visit the office of those guys and you, I don't know, that's like 20 people that are getting tested at the same time. You sit it in, down in front of a computer and they run a program with uh, 40 uh, multiple choice questions about your theoretical driving ability. I think I gave an example in the Reddit thread about how would you approach a stop sign? How would you act? And then you have a, like a really stupid answer that if you answer that, you're basically stupid. <laughs> like <laughs> just pull out. Nobody cares about a stop sign. Or then you have a like slightly less creeping up to a stop sign, but not stopping. That's right. also something that uh, people usually don't do. <laughs> and then yeah, you, or you come for, to a full stop and then you drive and that's the right answer. And there's like, there's also little um, animated videos of like, a car driving down the road uh, in the in the first person perspective, and you see can see whatever happening on the road in front of you, or what the car's doing, and then at one point the video stops, and then you have to basically answer a question: What was wrong in that video, right. and or how did the driver not behave correctly? And there's like little details, like watching the speedometer, whether he was going at the speed limit or over. Or like he didn't watch a car pulling out. He didn't uh, ex uh, didn't look at right of way. And then you have to answer those. These are like all different types of questions, and you have to answer forty. And so basically, what you do is you have to find them. You watch these videos, and you have to find the mistakes that people made. Exactly. Yes. Okay. All right. So then yeah. after that, you go on to the driver's education part. So this is yes. there's a bunch of different stages to this, obviously. Um, Tell us about the actual driver's education on the road. Yeah, uh, so basically you get assigned an instructor from the driving school. I mean, my driving school had like eight instructors and you always get assigned a personal instructor and they have a, own a car that is uh, registered under the school, but they own it as a personal vehicle. And basically what an instructor does is drive around all day picking up uh, driving pupils and uh, there's 45-minute lessons, but usually the drivers, uh, the instructors say like 45 minutes of driving are not enough, so we do 90 minutes. And they, I, I to my, from my personal 
uh, experience. My driving instructor always picked me up from home, which was really nice. Sometimes they say, uh, go to the driving school. I'm going to pick you up there. And yeah, then they, you get into the driver's seat and they get into the passenger seat. And the interesting thing is, I don't know if you have that in America, is they specifically um, get custom modified cars yeah. where there's also pedals. Yeah, we have on those the too. Side of the, yeah, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it always makes can, me wonder like, if those guys are ever driving around with their buddies. If they're, they feel like the pedals are there, but they're not. They're like phantom pedals where they're like hitting the floor like, ah, stop. You know, just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so in exactly these are modified cars, and yeah, then you usually the instructor just gives you instructions like today we're gonna drive in that part of the city, and here you turn right, there you turn left, and oh look ahead of you, this is the situation. How would you react? And if you react not correctly, then he's probably gonna slam the brakes and tell you that you did something wrong. And that's how these sessions usually go. I usually requested a few things myself, like hey, can we go to a um, uh, parking lot today and do test some par- try some parking. Sure. And yeah, exactly. That's the regular driving se- lessons. They usually just drive into a city and do some city driving. So up to the discretion of the instructor, they can say, "Hey, you're going to do 30 more sessions. You're not. You're not ready. So, so they'll make you start over. It's up to their discretion." In some ways, like, of course, you pay for every individual session. So it's obviously at, at some point you can say, sorry, I don't have much money for that many more lessons. But yes, they are basically gauging your ability to be ready for the for the final driving test. And of course, we also have these special sessions, which are three night driving sessions, three autobahn or highway sessions, and six country road sessions. I don't know how to please translate that into okay. uh, uh, English, fine. really. But then you move on to the driver's test. What's the driver's test like? Yeah, well, the driver's test is also conducted by the Technical Association for Inspection. And basically, you, you meet up at one of their offices with the car of the instructor and one of their uh, the examiner, exactly. And you, you basically also meet with the examiner, and the examiner gets into the back of the car. Your instructor gets into the... Uh, um, the passenger side, and then basically you have to. Your instructor is supposed to do absolutely nothing, and you have to listen to only the examiner what he wants you to do. Like, okay, we're driving right now, and then in that uh, in that corner of the road, we're gonna do a parking test. Or and here, your instructor. That's really funny. I liked it a lot. <laughs> is uh, basically tell your instructor is now going to tell you when to do an emergency braking maneuver, and he has free as long as the road is empty. He has free reign to say when it's going to happen. And that's also, so basically you drive at like 30 kilometers per hour. And then at after 10 seconds, 20 seconds, the instructor can say stop and you have to slam the brakes and you have to basically get to a stop instant as soon as possible. So like, so you would save a pedestrian if it was a real situation, for example, that was running in front of the car. And yeah, so the driving test is also 45 minutes. And if nothing egregious happens in, in the time, then yeah, you usually pass. If your instructor has to either take the wheel or slam the brakes or whatever, and any, at any time you basically fail the test. And in the end, you, you get, like, get a resume by the examiner, like here in that cor- in that, on that road where you weren't driving, you were driving a little bit too fast, I noticed. and. Here, you didn't overtake correctly or whatever. And in the end, they gave, uh, basically give you a summary and tell you you passed or you didn't pass. But most right, of the right, time, right. it's just either you 
past the 45 minutes without any incident or your instructor has to take the wheel and then you fail. And yeah, after that, uh, you'll get a piece of paper that says you passed and then you can go to the tuition office again and get your license printed. So and basically what it comes no, no, down wait. to is it's, it's a ton of time. Um, you took uh, yeah. eight months to get your license. You know, a yes, bunch of theory, yeah. practical driving, and then all your the instructor's schedules and your schedules. And you end up paying what ends up being around almost 3000 U.S. dollars, 2500 to 3000 U.S. dollars to get your driver's yeah. license. Yeah, although I think I'm not the norm because I failed both my practical <laughs> as well and my theory test once. Like, I've already had people reply on that thread saying, dude, I only paid like 1,500 euros. You got scammed. I was, no, I just failed two times. Yeah. So why do so you, it's, over <laughs> here, it's, you drive around with your mom or dad pretty mm -hmm. much. I mean, you do have an instructor, but it's pretty weak. And then you go pay like $25 and take a written test and you're done. <laughs> that's, okay. that's it. I mean, that's the entirety of <laughs> it. Sounds, it sounds like, um, I mean, I'll attribute some of the, the German driving mystique as, as you know, it's kind of seems like this enigmatic thing to us, but I also think there's a little bit of German culture to this. I think that the way that Germans are and they're very precise, that you're seen as very precise and very uh, analytical <laughs> with everything. And I think that you yeah. guys feel like you have this responsibility when you're driving. And I don't think that mm -hmm. Americans necessarily have that. I really appreciate you calling in and you enjoy your night over there. Yeah, thank you. And you have a nice day too. Yeah, take care of yourself. Yep. Yeah. Bye-bye. All right. To recap, German driver's license requirements are you have to be 17. And this is, you know, it's kind of a casual conversation, but here's kind of what I picked up. Sure. From you have to be 17 and you have to have uh, and you have to drive with your parents for a year. Sure. Um, you have to take a theory class, which is 14 courses, um, a driver's education class, which is 30 courses that are 45 minutes each. And then an additional three night driving sessions, three Autobahn highway sessions and six Overland, which is like back roads, uh, country road sessions. And then you have to take a driver's test, which seems fairly straightforward. You just take, sure. take your test afterwards. Costs can be anywhere from $1,500 to $3,000. Hmm. And if you lose your driver's license, you can get enough strikes. You can get, right. you can get eight strikes. Okay. If you lose that, do that, you have to do a lot of this over again. Oh, wow. And, of course, the fines and your driver's license is gone for five right, years suspension. or whatever it is. Yep. And in contrast, the USA, <laughs> yes. at eight, I'm not including just, you know, if you're, because he got his driver's license at 23. Okay. So if you're 23 years old, here's basically what would happen in the United States. You cannot be blind. Mm -hmm. You have to take a written test. Uh huh. You do not have to take a driver's test. You well, Hold on. You don't have to you take a driver's test. You don't have to test. take your driver's test. In Wisconsin, you don't have to take your driver's test. You go in, you take a written test. That's not true. Wait, no, I'm sorry. I got my license in Wisconsin. <laughs> Let me rephrase this. You don't have to take driver's education. Right. You can just take the test. Okay. You can just show up, take the written test, go with an instructor, take that test, boom, driver's license. If you're younger, you have to do this many hours with your parents. Right. And then you have to do something with a driving instructor or some things well, like that, and then pay like 50 bucks. So... There's a pretty big contrast here. In the rigors. In the rigors of it. And here's what why I think that's important. Okay. Is anything that you get fleetingly is treated irresponsibly. Mm -hmm. Anything that takes hardship and effort to get. Mm -hmm. He didn't take his driver's license test until he was 23 because he had to save up a couple thousand dollars to be able to do it. Yeah. And a lot of people, I'm sure, in Germany, their parents pay for it or whatever. But it seems like there's a lot of responsibility tied to this. And more respect. And more respect because it's not an easy thing to get. It's seen right. as a 
privilege, not right. a right. And I think a lot of people Which here... Which it, it certainly technically is still a privilege, not a right in the States, but it's, like you said, just so much easier and the barriers to entry are so much lower. And the, just the the consequences are so much lower for if you screw up too. Have you ever mm-hmm. gone to fight a traffic ticket, like a speeding ticket yeah. or something? Oh, yeah. And the guys that are up there before you be like, hey, John... John Johnson from Johnsonville, you got, uh, this is your third DUI. Um, you were in the lockup for two weeks. We'll give you that extended, blah, 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 whatever. Stay that. And then uh, you're going to be on probation for uh, 12 months. Uh, you can get a work permit to drive, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And I'm just like, how about this guy never drives again? How yeah. about his license is gone for five or 10 years? Why yeah. are we giving this guy probation? Third time, third oh, yeah. time, second time. Yeah. Get out of here. Why are you even getting pulled over for drunk driving once? Yeah. Hello? It is the easiest thing not to do. I have drank alcohol. I feel buzzed. I'm not going to drive. And that is the attitude. My limit is one beer. If I've Mm -hmm. had one beer, I will drive. If I've had more than one, I will not drive. No matter how I feel, it doesn't matter how I feel. It's all about responsibility and taking... When you look at mortality statistics in the United States, whether it's speeding or whatever the case may be, most of the accidents are associated with alcohol, not from speeding. They're all speeding kills, speed kills, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Not wearing a seatbelt kills, whatever. Stop being drunk. That will probably fix most of the issues. Yeah, probably will. Um, So hopefully, you know, I don't know what we can do here, you know. Obviously, Alex Roy you, talks you, about education and stuff, too. Right. It really is the education and the rigors to go and around with it. And as much, that'll just lead to more respect for honestly, it. Honestly, government is so intrusive in what we do and how we do it. The fact that they just are so lax about driving education, I don't understand. I don't get it. They want they want to control how many gallons go down your toilet when you flush it, but they don't. They want you to pay fifty dollars to go out and and drive a four thousand pound car that can kill anyone or yeah, anything. You're right. It's it's ridiculous. It needs to be much more stringent. And I don't know what we can do to make this happen. Maybe we should call the state and see what we can do to maybe get the get the uh, driver's education stepped up a little bit. This, maybe we should try this to do coming that. Coming from a self proclaimed libertarian, this affects other people yeah when you are driving around the world you are in the community it affects others immediately and it's i'm not a libertarian i just want to be left alone (laughs) but if what i'm doing is affecting other people yeah it needs to be regulated and it needs to be controlled especially it's it's very hard to argue with that yeah and i'm I'm the same way with like with guns like you should have gun education to be able to purchase a gun yeah you know these things you all right that's enough we'll leave it at that (laughs) Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode with uh, with Alex Royd and and, uh, and Tony. We hope you enjoy the rest of your week. We've got Noki and Tyre coming soon. I think that's got to be next week. Yeah. Yeah, Noki and Tyre coming on. I think that right. We also have, of course, our news episode on Monday. You'll have to check out with Joel, Joel Fetter. Fetter. Take care, guys. We'll see you Monday. <laughs>